and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I'm your host, Amir Grigic, and today with me is uh, Damir Bacirovic. He is a principal at Index Ventures. Damir, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and also how you got to start at Index? Yeah, yeah. Happy to run through it. Um, hopefully, I'm not too long-winded with this because there's... Go a, ahead. <laughs> you have all the time. There's a bit of a unique story. Uh, I'll start by saying we have a fairly sh- common background in that we're both Bosnian. Um, but I was actually born and raised in Germany and, and then spent most of my childhood in California. I ended up going to university in Los Angeles at the University of Southern California, where I studied finance. While I was at school, I always had an interest in trying to marry my interest in finance with an interest in technology that largely stemmed from the fact that I grew up in Cupertino, a few blocks away from Apple headquarters. I had one kind of epiphany moment while I was in school. That was very much the consequence of a class that I took. I took a class about venture capital that was taught by two venture capital partners, this guy named Mark Stevens, who was a partner at Sequoia Capital at the time, uh, and this guy named Mike Abbott, who was a partner at Kleiner Perkins at the time. And it was like a light bulb went off. You know, I, I got to hear about how these guys spent day in, day in and day out with founders learning about emerging businesses, learning about business models that had technology at the core. Um, and you know, the, what they argued to us was that technology helps businesses become uh, truly scalable. And, and that's why you get the large outcomes that you do in venture capital. Um, shortly after taking that class, I graduated a semester early from USC and uh, had an offer to lined up to go join Goldman Sachs as an investment banking analyst a year later. And instead of traveling or, or just enjoying myself, I decided to start reaching out to venture funds to see if I could get some firsthand experience in this industry. And I was fortunate enough to receive a response to one of my cold emails from a fund called Co2. They were just spinning up a venture practice arm uh, and they hired me as a glorified intern. I was able to be an apprentice to a few folks who had been in the industry for a long time. And that's really how I got my start. Uh, During my time at Co2, I actually looked at a few companies that Index ended up investing in. So that's how I first heard out about them. And several years down the road, a recruiter at Index reached out to me and uh, I was fortunate to be be given an opportunity to to join the firm. Uh, I'd say without that class at university and without that cold email to that venture fund, though, I I probably wouldn't be here uh, where I am today. And the the reason why uh, that class was such a such an epiphany moment for you is that because of the the kind of marriage between the technology and the finance side was was that the real reason? Correct, correct. It was it was really learning from these guys how you know what they what they got to do for a living, which was really just studying business models, studying technology, and spending their time with with founders who were building companies, and. That was very much what I was interested in doing. I never really mm. considered myself a builder. Uh, I don't have a computer science background. I'm not a programmer, um, but I am incredibly curious, uh, especially when it comes to technology. And I felt like this could be an incredible way for me to explore that curiosity. Yeah. And w- what spoke to you about finance? Because uh, I, I hear a lot of people going into finance and stuff like that. But what, what was the kind of idea behind that? Yeah, I mean, I'd say it was another epiphany moment, but that one happened in high school. I was taking a government and economics class my my senior year of high school, and we had a few alumni come and visit to tell us a little bit about their career path so that we could start thinking about it as we were heading into university. And of the four or five alumni who came to my class, the person who I gravitated most towards was 
this guy from Goldman Sachs. He was an investment banker. It was the first time that I had heard about investing, first time I had heard about this notion of brick economies, which he talked a lot about. I still remember it fairly vividly. You know, he was a sharply dressed guy and, and I kind of saw something that I wanted to be in him. Uh, so it was very much that moment that made me want to go and study finance at university, that made me want to explore investment banking as a career path. Um, so again, just just another kind of epiphany moment. No, oh, well, that's that's cool. I mean, uh, I have nothing with finances <laughs> in the sense of uh, it's it's not my background. Uh, it's more of a technical background in that sense. But it, it's it's funny that uh, it it kind of happened the same way for me uh, when I look at the technical ba background, where uh, it was more like, oh, I I bought a computer when I was uh, when I was little, and then you kind of start to tinker with it, and you're like, this is pretty cool. Let let me do something with that in the future, right? And then all this uh, this other co stuff comes around so it's it's more of a it, it, it it's it's funny how that kind of lines up into uh, what what you what you're currently doing so uh, getting back to that uh, you're kind of a you're you're called a principal within index could you tell a little bit about what that kind of entails what what is that kind of uh, for yeah. a function yeah well i'll start by just giving you a little background on index so index sure. is a venture capital firm that invests in, in technology startups, both in Europe and in the United States. We have about 10 investors in each of our two offices. Uh, our offices are in San Francisco and in London. Um, and we manage about $2 billion of capital uh, to invest in these companies. I think what sticks out when I give you that background is that we're fairly lean for how much capital that we have to deploy. So Evernet Index tends to operate a bit autonomously. Uh, we're not a very kind of big hierarchy. We don't have this uh, incredible amount of structure or formality within our organization. We're actually just a group of a small, a, a small number of people who have very collaborative relationships with one another and um, who all kind of operate uh, uh, independently for most of a given week. Um, what a principle means at Index is uh, that we contribute to the to the fund the way that just about anyone else would. And, and, and there's really four functions that any investor on our team uh, performs. The first one is sourcing. So going out and trying to find interesting companies to, to invest in, hearing about them from research that we're doing, from conversations that we're having with uh, founders or, or other investors. Um, and then the next bucket is actually investing. So so going through the art of negotiation, the art of convincing a founder to work with you. Uh, then the third bucket is managing. So once we, once we invest our capital, we're not passive. We don't treat it like a position in your personal stock brokerage account. Uh, instead, we work very closely with our founders on everything from setting strategy to recruiting to helping the company raise additional capital if it needs to uh, and then the last bucket of work that we do is when a company matures, we, we really play an active part in helping the company exit. So uh, will the company end up being acquired? Will it go public? Uh, you know, that's, that's something that, that we, uh, we, we spend a lot of time helping the founder think through. So okay. in my principal role, um, I'm, I'm contributing to an investment process kind of end to end. And um, I'm actually sponsoring investments of my own now. That's, that's, that's a kind of, unique attribute of of being a principal mm. and when when you uh when you mentioned you you're kind of a lean organization in that sense uh, how does that help with the uh, with um 
in in regards to just investing in in general. So how does it help? Uh, because there's a lot of uh, VCs, a lot of uh, companies that are uh, that are investing money in all these kind of startups. Uh, how does uh, how does help? How does it help to be lean and mean in this case? Yeah. So what we prioritize at Index is not being a high volume investment firm. So the expectation is not that I'll make 10 investments per year. The expectation is that I'll make two to three. And the same mm -hmm. is true for my colleagues. Um, what that means is we end up spending a lot of time with founders once we do invest in them. And even beforehand, I think founders really get a sense that we're one very collaborative team. Uh, it's not a relationship with just one person that you'll have when you take index capital, but it's a relationship with a set of people that you'll have once you choose to work with our firm. Uh, so I think that that, that really sticks out because of uh, the way that we're structured as an organization. Yeah, and, and the the sourcing that you mentioned um, is that all over the globe, or is it just uh, locally, or how do you how do you look at that? Yeah, so we again, our, our two offices are in San Francisco and in London. Our London team really covers the UK and continental Europe, uh, and then our US team primarily spends its time in the US looking for opportunities. We've started to make some investments in Canada, which is a market that we're excited about for a number of reasons. We actually even made our first investment in Mexico, um, but I don't want to make it sound like we're, we're truly global investors. Uh, hopefully someday we will be, but as of today, yeah, okay. we're really just focused on, on the two continents that I mentioned. Yeah, and uh, I, you mentioned Canada. That's that's really a hotbed. I feel like for a lot of startups that are that are coming up. I mean, uh, Shopify being one of the big ones, of course, uh, that you that you see from there. Um, so, wh why do you think that um, that companies pick, for example, Index Ventures to to work and collaborate with as a as an investor? Yeah, I think there are tactical reasons, and then there's just kind of the the qualitative, more relationship oriented reasons. Uh, I'll start with the tactical. So. Um, there are a few reasons that I think people like Index. One, we've been in the industry for a while. We're a 25-year-old approximately venture firm. Um, so I think people realize that there's a little bit of permanency to working with us versus potentially working with a newer firm. Um, two, as a result of that history, you know, there's a, a pretty established network that we have that we can essentially offer to founders that we work with um, so that they can have the right resources or, or people to talk to when they, they have certain questions uh, that come to mind. Um, the other thing is we're a large firm that invests from seed through growth stage. So when you take index capital, you're not only getting support in one financing round, you, you may actually get support from us more and more over time. Um, trying to think what are some of the other tactical things. Well, we, we have some uh, strategic kind of operations internally that help founders. We have a few folks who are specifically focused on talent. So helping our portfolio companies identify key executives that they may want to hire and, and helping facilitate introductions. We have a corporate development team as well, led by my colleague Jacob, who really prioritizes finding you know, high potential customer introductions or partner introductions for companies so that they can scale more quickly and more efficiently so I'd say from a tactical perspective, those are, those are some of the things that, that we really prioritize in offering. And then there's really the qualitative side, which I think stems from us being lean, stems from us not being overly active investors as, as individuals. Um, we, we, we like to think that when we invite a founder to come and work with us, we're inviting them into the index family. That's, that's the kind of weight and significance of a relationship um, 
when, when, when we think about it and, and we hope founders feel the same. Yeah, and that's something that uh, um, when I look at a lot of investors, or at least the investors that I know of, uh, you kind of see that they kind of they invest a, a portion of money and they get some equity or whatever uh, they get back for that, and they're they're like uh, just passive, as you said, uh, just waiting for the kind of company to to build it out, build build itself out instead of like really helping to see like okay, how can I get this company to the next level so my investment is kind of safe and also of course you you will get more uh, out of it right and that's that's something that i've uh, noticed with a lot of investors which what you were saying is is it resonates because you're you're thinking like yeah that's how it should be right that's how uh, how the actual investor should be like kind of protecting your investment I, I never got that like you're giving money to to yeah. a company and then uh, you're like yeah you need to figure out how you're going to grow the company that doesn't make a lot of sense to me yeah um, no, I, I think you know my day-to-day my -day is i might spend you know a quarter of it or 30 percent of it meeting potential new founders to work with in the future but the rest of my day really revolves around my existing portfolio companies and talking to the founders that i work closely with I think I talk to just about each of them, you know, at every other day, every every three days at, at, at the latest. So, mm -hmm. you know, these are these are very close relationships, tight knit relationships. Um, you know, hopefully, I'm not I'm not being surprised too often by something negative, overly negative happening within a company. Right? Yeah, it's you. You have a real sense of what's going on within the company, right? If if you have that kind of close of a relationship, so how do the how do the founders uh, how do the founders themselves view this? Like doing this this way, is this what they would expect from it, or how do they see it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know, if, if you're a founder, capital is a bit of a commodity, right? There have never been more dollars raised. I forget if this is. I forget if we're actually at the all-time high or not for venture capital dollar raised raised in our industry, but if not, if we're not there, we're close. So there's never been more capital available to founders. Capital is just capital. Um, I think what, what's important for funds like ourselves is making sure that we can offer something differentiated along with the capital, uh, so that mm -hmm. founders choose to work with us over others. Um, and I think that's very much the expectation now. It's not just you know, give me dollars. It's what do you? What are your dollars also give me access to? And I think the other the other unique thing that I forgot to mention when uh, we were talking about how Index thinks about its value proposition is is the international piece. Uh, mm. When we started our firm, we actually only started in Europe. Uh, the, the the big kind of opportunity that our founders saw was that no one was really pursuing venture capital in Europe. So we were very much one of the, the first movers in, in, uh, in that market on that continent and established a very strong record, track record domestically. But what very quickly stuck out to us was that when European companies hit a certain scale, they wanted to expand internationally and that the very first market that they would often want to go into is, is the US. So it was a result of seeing that pattern play out a few times that led us to decide to open a US office so that we can contribute to the growth of our existing portfolio and as a con consequence of being here, we also started to make U.S. headquartered investments as well. So mm -hmm. now I think if you fast forward to today, our value prop is really, you know, if you're a European company, we can help you with the expansion into the U.S. And if you're an American company, we can do the same for you in Europe. Um, I think that, that very much sticks out to founders. Yeah. So how many uh, companies are you uh, kind of helping right now? And, and what, are, what are some of them that maybe stick out to you? Or uh, could you tell a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So I currently manage four to five uh, early stage investments uh, for index. And I can just quickly run you through them. But before I, I run through the individual names, I'll, I'll mention that my focus at Index uh, is, is very concentrated around consumer and consumer behavior. And, and one big kind of way that we orient ourselves internally is by domain. We have people who specialize in certain areas, whether it be infrastructure or security or vertical software or fintech. And my, my focus area has, has very much been around consumer from the start. I was actually brought in by uh, our main consumer partner, Danny Reimer, and feel very fortunate to be his mentee. Um, I, I get very excited about consumer. Uh, it, it's what drives kind of satisfaction for me in my job. Um, I, I don't consider myself a ruthless capitalist. I'm certainly a capitalist. I want my companies to be successful. I want my sure. investment to return dollars to the fund. But my ulterior motive is to back companies that uh, change how I experience my life, right? How, change how I transport myself around the city, change, change how I interact with a certain type of merchant. I get a lot of fulfillment in, in seeing uh, the evolution of consumer behavior come to, come to fruition, come to life. Um, so that's my big focus at, at Index is trying to understand what are those trends around consumer that are unlocking opportunities. Um, so just touching on my portfolio, uh, Bird is one of my investments that I actively manage. Bird is trying to unlock a new modality of transportation for cities around the world. As cities become denser, as governments become more focused on climate impact and climate change, uh, we, we take the, the view at Index that micromobility will, will really benefit and that big companies will, will be built in the category as a result. Uh, so that's one example. Another example is a company called Rec Room, which is very much a, a gaming company, but but in my opinion, is much more than that. It's, it's I think, in, in many ways, uh, the next generation social network. Um, I don't know if you have a, a VR headset, but this is... No, I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. It's something I've always wanted to try, but for some reason, I, I just don't get to one. <laughs> you, should, you should check it out. Um, Rec Room is actually the game that uh, has the all-time highest minutes played of any application in VR. Um, and you'll quickly get a sense that it's actually a social network where you can interact with other people and feel like you're in the same physical proximity. And now the company is very much focused on expanding that social network across other platforms, whether it be mobile, console, et cetera. Uh, but that's a company that I'm quite excited about. Um, you did something with your office, right? For in in Rec Room, something like that, right? I, I did. I, yeah, I, I remember did. something on Twitter about that. I, re I I convinced a developer in Rec Room to actually recreate the Index office, and it's a <laughs> oh magical experience. Um, yeah, that's cool. What people can do. Yeah, yeah, and I can I can uh, w w go ahead. You you were you were talking about the other ones as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just mention the last company that I spend a lot of time with at the moment, which is a company called Boulevard. Uh, it's not directly a consumer company. It's it's more of a software company, but it's software that is being sold into spas and salons so that those types of businesses can run their operations more efficiently. It's a category that I'm very excited about. Um, I think people are investing more in their wellness and their appearance than ever before. Um, I think it's driven by a number of things. It's driven by social media and the desire to present ourselves as well as we can always. And it's also driven by just our stress in our day-to-day -day lives where, you know, when, when we're not working, we want to take a moment for ourselves and, and invest in our wellness, whether it be going to a spa or, uh, or, or a salon, it's, it, there's a very big therapeutic effect. So 
I think uh, that whole merchant category is is one that is going to continue continue to see a lot of growth, and I hope that Boulevard can be the platform behind that industry over time. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, those are those are interesting companies for sure. I think uh, uh, a lot of them, well, at least Bird, I know from just from name, right? Uh, so that that's already a plus because I'm in the Netherlands, so it's a, I, I already heard about it. So that's that's a good thing. I'd love, uh, but, for, I'd love for cities around the world to replicate, you know, what Amsterdam looks like, where you have as much infrastructure dedicated to. To cycling that you do then you do you know cars to, to yeah yeah it's it's the it. the whole of the netherlands is like that i can tell you that uh, i'm i myself live in, the, in rotterdam so uh the second largest city but uh it's pretty much the same uh, diff- different uh, different type of city but still all the cycling lanes are always there so yeah. uh could you uh what i wanted to talk about a little bit is uh, we we talked about the kind of uh, the money aspect and stuff like that. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of people see these uh, see these VCs as kind of um, yeah they see a name and they don't see anyone behind it, right? They just see like capital and that's it. Uh, and they feel like that's that's the way they are, right? They they're nameless companies that just have a lot of capital and just invest and uh, try to to do all kinds of things like that. Uh, how do you how do you look at that? Because I can imagine from your perspective, you don't feel it that way. But how do you do, do you hear that as well from from other people that they kind of have that same feeling? Uh, could you just maybe elaborate a little bit by feeling? Do you yeah, mean sure. That it's a bit mercenary in that. Yeah, yeah. They see it. They see it as just a nameless corporation, or at least a faceless corporation. Let's put it like that. Not the nameless, but a faceless corporation, right? And that's that's just it. They just see a lot of money, and that's it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I can't speak for what the culture is like within other investment firms, but I can tell sure. you, Index, that. Um, the reason I joined Index, and I actually remember this fairly vividly, I, when I when I interviewed, I had to do a case study, and the case study was on a specific company and whether or not I would recommend that the, that the firm invest. And um, I won't tell you the name of the company. My recommendation was no. Um, and you know, many firms maybe that would be the end of the conversation. Instead, at Index, what happened was the entire team and myself were around this large table, and we had a forty-five to sixty-minute discussion about why the right answer is no and, and why it shouldn't be yet. Mm. It was this almost Socratic debate in many ways. Um, and it was that collaboration with folks that really made me realize that people at Index are incredibly curious and passionate about their job. That they're not yeah. mercenaries. They aren't in this business to just make a quick buck. They take a very deep interest and genuine interest in in uh, innovation and technology. So yeah. it's that's kind of how... I approach the job as well. I mentioned earlier, I'm not a ruthless capitalist. I no. get a lot of fulfillment from my daily interactions with founders and and trying to help them introduce something new to the world. Um, and I'd, I'd say the same is true for for my colleagues as well. Yeah, uh, and how uh, because that's a good point that you you mentioned about the the kind of no. So how did, how important is it to kind of evaluate those those companies that you say no to? How how, how important is that to you? Yeah, I mean. The way I think about it is, unfortunately, in this industry, we say no more often than we say yes, right? For every sure. 10 f- founders or companies that I might meet, you know, only one or two of them may be interesting enough to index where I'd even spend a lot of time trying to research the opportunity. What I will say is I really care about my personal NPS, right? I, I, I don't want a founder to leave a meeting thinking that was a 
horrendous waste of my time. Even mm-hmm. if I'm saying no to a company, the first thing I'll do is try to give them one or two very tangible reasons as to why I don't feel like this is a right fit for index. So giving them something very tangible that they can go go back and reevaluate um, if they if they choose to do so. The other thing I like to do is even again, if I'm disengaging with a company, I try to figure out what is one way that I can still help them? What is one introduction that I can make to a similar founder or uh, some sort of executive or some relationship that I have that can be meaningful to, to that company? So mm-hmm. again, I, I don't want people to think of any interaction that I have with them as, as a transaction. Um, I'd love to instead think of it as cultivating a relationship that may be rekindled in the future, right? I, I, I can't say I have a 100% success rate at, at saying no or yes at, at the right time. Uh, it's very often the case that a company that we didn't find interesting a few years ago evolves into something that does become interesting. So at the end of the day, what what I think re- is really important is is treating people you know, the, the way that, that they would want to be treated and leaving them with, with leaving them feeling like they had a high quality interaction with you. Yeah. And that it's always good to, even, even if you say no, like to help someone out. I mean, I've seen that, uh, I've seen that a lot where maybe uh, you would, uh, you would get asked for a speaking engagement. You're like, no, or I don't have the time or whatever. And then you maybe offer up someone else that uh, can can help uh, help that person out, uh, and that that's something that I've noticed it helps a lot with uh, with a lot of people. They, they will be grateful for, even for that, right? In that in that respect. So, uh, what what I uh, was wondering about is, do you, did you have any kind of exa- it doesn't have to be names, but just examples of people that maybe got a no at first, and then later on uh, came back with a d- different proposition or whatever that that turned into a yes. It's a good question. I'm, I'm just trying to think of an example or two in my head, and um, I don't know if, if, if I'm going to be able to hit on a, on a quick example in this period of time we have. I will say there are companies that we meet that just take longer to develop than you would expect. Mm. We end up investing much later down the road. Um, one company that comes to mind in our portfolio is Roblox. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Roblox, but it's... No, I've never heard of them. I think arguably the most popular game in the world right now, perhaps behind Fortnite, but... It, oh, okay, yeah, no, then I'll know. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. so, so Roblox is a company that has been around for over a decade. Um, the, the founder of Index, Neil, one of the co-founders of Index, Neil, actually went to university with the founder of Roblox, Dave. And in the early days, it was a very slow-growing business. It... Um, it's taking a lot of time to develop, but over the past few years, it really started to accelerate meaningfully. And, and the nice part is, given the strong relationship and history b- between Neil and, and Dave, uh, we were one of the firms that was able to, to get the opportunity to invest once that acceleration started happening. And again, it, you know, if you look at the growth of Roblox over the last four or five years, um, become a tremendously large company that is known by just about every eight to 15 year old in the world. Um, so that's, that's an example. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as a no turned into yes, but I'd characterize it as a decade plus relationship that ultimately culminated in an investment. Yeah, and that then that can happen as well. I mean, uh, sometimes you you the timing is just not right, right? That, that's the thing. It, it's just not the the right time to to do the investment or whatever it uh, whatever it means. Um, so uh, that's uh, what are some of the 
what are some of the what are some of the kind of key things you look at when uh, when you're kind of looking at a company? So I think that's interesting for people maybe that are uh, searching for for a venture capital firm to to help them out or whatever. What are some of the things that you look at like uh, as in potential and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, I, I have this framework that was taught to me by a former colleague from my Code Two days. And it's really just called the four T's and I can unpack each of them for you. Uh, the, first, sure. the first is team. So uh, what, what about the team makes them special? What about the team uh, gives you the sense that this is the right team to be building this company? And uh, who on the team has a truly unique insight that is creating this new type of opportunity? So I think that founder kind of market or founder product fit is Im- incredibly important to evaluate along with, I think, some personality traits, right? Can, is this a founder that you could see yourself working with? Uh, can mm-hmm. you have a, a good dynamic between you two? Um, so that's one. Uh, the next is traction. So is there anything that you can, any metric you can look at within the business that suggests that that insight that founder has is actually turning into a business opportunity? Um, is there any sense of momentum in this business? Is there any sense of desire for the product or service that the company is offering. Uh, we, we aren't your pre-seed or you know, even very active seed stage investment firm. Uh, so we, we generally uh, prefer to invest in companies once there's some, uh, some data point that you can evaluate. Uh, the next bucket that I think about is, is TAM. Uh, so TAM stands for Total Addressable Market. Uh, this is a, a, a more fancy word for market size. Is the company exactly. pursuing opportunity in a big enough market that could, in theory, one day generate a billion dollar plus business? Given how much capital we have, we, we really are in the business of trying to find outlier companies, companies that can be worth a billion or more dollars. And it's hard to get that if, if the business opportunity that you're pursuing is in some very, very small niche. Um, instead, we tend to think about... Um, Large markets, right? Uh, e-commerce. How how is transact? How are transactions moving online, and who's going to amass the highest transaction volume? FinTech. How how are you know how are payments being processed, and what is the innovation there? Um, transportation is is an area that I'm particularly passionate about. How are people moving around the cities they live in, or how are they traveling between cities, and how is that being innovated upon? Uh, it's it's really innovation in in markets like that that I think will will lead to large new companies being built. Yeah, and then the last one, just to touch on the fourteen. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's trends. Yeah. So you have you have a large market in theory, um, but you need some sort of trend within it. You, you need something to be changing. If a market is static, that's not unlocking a new business opportunity. You need a market that is evolving that could lead to a new company or a new entrant actually capturing meaningful value. Um, so again, the, the notion of a dynamic market versus a static market is, is particularly important for us as well. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's uh, when I think about it, this is the first time I hear about it in this kind of a framework. And I think it kind of touches on all the things that you need to have to be successful in a, in a company, right? I mean, uh, none really work without the other right i mean if you uh, you can have a great founder team but if if the product doesn't uh, have any uh, have any 
yeah it, it doesn't go anywhere yeah that doesn't help right um and also what i've what i've heard a lot about uh, uh invest from other investors as well where they're like yeah i look at if someone is coachable right is the the founder team coachable in a sense that uh, you can steer them uh in the right direction if need be or uh, at least uh, help them out to to get better at what they what they want to achieve so uh, those are some of the things that I've I've noticed uh, in other talks that I uh, that I had. So the investments that uh, you uh, you guys make, um, uh, how how long are the, how uh, what kind of terms are are we think are we looking at? Is is that like multi-year things? How, what kind of uh, uh, scope do you look at in terms of uh, if, in terms of time? Yeah. So generally, we're investing. Uh, either a fairly early stage or at a growth stage. At, at early stage, that might mean that the relationship you're having with the founder will last anywhere from six on the kind of short side to 10 years. In, in some ways, it's almost like a marriage, right? I mean, this yeah, is a person it's really long. you're going to be talking to and working closely with for a long period of time. At growth stage, it could be a bit less. You know, It could be a relationship that lasts two to five years. Um, but regardless, you know, it's, it's a very material amount of time. And so to your point on, on the previous topic, really evaluating whether or not this is a person that you could see yourself working with, yeah, um, it's particularly important. Um, so one of the questions I always ask myself when I'm trying to evaluate this type of person, this is founder is, uh, is this someone that I could see myself working with or, or sorry, mm -hmm. working for, if I was a potential employee considering joining you know, one of 10 different companies, uh, why would I join this company? Is, is the founder uh, a good recruiter? Does he have some, he or she have some sort of superpower that attracts me to the business? Uh, that becomes, that becomes very, very important. Yeah. And how much, how much of it, because you mentioned, like uh, you look at, um, uh, at these early stage, not the earlier stage of startups, but uh, uh, maybe they already have a product or at least uh, have something to, how many, uh, how much of it is kind of, um, metric based in the sense of uh, how much uh, do you look at the 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 cohort facts of course you look at that you need to as a, as an investor but is there also a kind of um, is there also some kind of thing that you're looking at that maybe isn't uh is it quantifiable in a metric or or something like that how how do you feel that yeah i mean i'd say there's a big reason why we're oriented thematically at index we really want to have a strong perspective on where markets are, are headed um mm. So while we do evaluate numbers and metrics, we don't invest solely on metrics. Hmm. Uh, there's, it is very often the case that we'll invest in a company that has very little revenue, but is building a product that we strongly believe in, uh, that we believe is, is a big market opportunity. Um, so you know, that's, that's kind of the short answer that I would give you is uh, we prefer to, to invest on deep domain insight versus just numbers alone. Yeah, it ma makes a lot of sense because uh, I think you need that if you want to, at, at least you need that also looking at the kind of terms you're looking at, right? If you're looking at eight to 10 years, you need to know what's happening within, uh, that's that's a long time. That's a really long time for uh, to, to see uh, a particular market grow or a sector grow or whatever. So I think that's um, almost essential if you, if you want to work this way. Uh, you, you need to... Uh, at least know the market inside out and to be able to say okay th this 
this is going to work, uh, or at least I have this this great feeling that this will work. Maybe it doesn't work right now with the timing, but uh, maybe in two years you'll be there, right? Um, th- those are kind of the things that I I can feel I feel like are uh, are essential in that case. So um, we're kind of in the midst of a crisis. <laughs> if uh, no, if someone didn't uh, figure that out, <laughs> we we really are. Uh, but uh, what what kind of uh, it, how has that affected your business? How, so how does it affected the the businesses that you help out, and how how have you seen uh, how have you seen that change? Yeah, it's definitely been a very unusual time. I don't think anyone could have predicted no COVID impact to, to truly hit the way it has. Uh, I'd say there's one probably easy way to kick color the impact, right? Um, and it's it, it actually touches on on you know a little bit of the name of your podcast, but um, if if your business is predicated on atoms, you're probably negatively impacted. If your business is predicated on bits, you're probably you're probably positively impacted. Mm. This environment has prevented people from leaving their homes. So anyone that has physical infrastructure, like retail stores, like airplanes, like you know even Uber in their network of cars, has been negatively impacted. People who are positively impacted are people who are providing inherently digital products or services. So if you're a gaming company that um, allows people to play games from the comfort of their home. You're Netflix and people are streaming your content. You're uh, a productivity software company that allows people to work from home. Um, you're, you know, even Zoom, and which has replaced physical interaction, right? We're, we're now being able to, to have conversations like these digitally. So that's really the, the framework that we took to evaluating our own portfolio. What are the companies that, you know, operate truly in the physical world that we're going to have to, try to support during this time. And that support could be helping them craft a new strategic plan, uh, helping them find additional sources of financing, things of that nature. And then on the other side, on the positively impacted companies, we we talk a lot about how can you take advantage of this moment? How can you um, use this as a moment to acquire a a much broader set of customers? So that's that's a little bit about how we've we've thought about this, this crisis. Yeah, because w- within your portfolio that you mentioned, uh, you already have that kind of uh, that kind of uh, because uh, Bird is a little bit physical in a sense, right? Uh, or yeah, well, I guess to touch on the companies that I talked about, yeah. you know, Bird is very predicated on people moving around cities physically. Exactly. Uh, so the past few months have, have certainly been challenging in that you know people really haven't had a need for for scooter based transportation. I'm excited mm. to see that rebound now as the cities are reopening, but um, definitely not a an easy period of time for them. Uh, my gaming yeah. company, Rec Room, on the other hand, is seeing all-time high usage. You know, people exactly. play more often than ever. Uh, so hours played per week is is just growing rather quickly. Uh, and then the last company, which is a really interesting case because it's a digital product, but it serves a very physical merchant. Um, is Boulevard? They they sell software into spas and salons, and um, this notion Those were closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really interesting, right? Uh, spas and salons are not essential services, so a lot of them are closed. Uh, which, you know, in some ways we, we were very worried about. It could lead to churn of customers if if they're closed for too long and they go out of business. Uh, but there's some, there's a lot of silver lining with that one in that business owners are now thinking about well, I have this unique moment of time where I can replatform, think about technology to, to better run my business. And what we're actually seeing is that a lot of business owners are, are, are using this time to transition onto our platform. So hmm. um, some very interesting silver, silver lining for them. And um, you know, fortunately for the company, they, they're 
very well capitalized. So they didn't have any, any kind of solvency worries themselves. They could really just think about how can I take advantage of, the, of this moment? Yeah, and the, the, that's the interesting thing is that I think that a lot of companies will have like surprises like that, right? Where they're like, oh, uh, we need to close down. But on the other hand, this is happening, right? <laughs> we, we didn't expect that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, even, the, even Bird is a good example. You know, yeah. the scooter market is, is one that um, was in a bit of a frenzy over the past few years. A lot of dollars Absolutely. have thrown into the industry and a lot of competitors have popped up. I think what this environment has led to is consolidation, right? You've seen Uber exit their business by selling it to Lime. Um, you've seen a number of smaller players wind down their operations. Um, so I think coming out of this environment, you're actually seeing a much more rationalized uh, competitive landscape, which I think will benefit the remaining players. Um, so even even for someone like Bird, um, you know, I'm I'm, opti- I'm optimistic that the b- business will be uh, in a better place coming out of this environment than it was uh, prior. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to uh, to touch on uh, just a little bit, I think your brother uh, does kind of the same thing like uh, like you do, right? Yeah, I'd say that's one of the kind of unique personal stories I have. Not only in, am I you know, of Bosnian background like yourself, which means that um, I'm part of the diaspora, but I also have a twin brother uh, who uh, is the other source of my motivation. We are incredibly yeah. similar. We've always had the same interests, whether it be soccer or technology uh, or just excelling in the classroom. Uh, and it's just driven by the feeling of not wanting to lose to one another. Um, <laughs> so, interestingly enough, we've we've always been able to kind of keep pace with one another. And, and what that's culminated in is us following a very similar career path uh, to the point that you know, we work together now at Index. Mm, good, interesting. You don't hear that a lot. <laughs> that's that, that's a cool thing. I I think, uh, I, well, it, it's interesting in a way, and I think um, I, I kind of wonder how that is to work with your brother. I I, I can't imagine that, but uh, well, I, I, I sometimes wonder the opposite. What, what's it like to not work with your brother? I actually worked, <laughs> worked with him at uh, at Goldman Sachs as well. We sat about forty feet oh, apart really? from each other and. Uh, funny enough, I would get like a quarter of his emails because colleagues would just get their <laughs> wrong, wrong name. Uh, it was quite quite an experience. But no, at the end of the day, he's uh, he's my sparring partner in many ways in this industry. Uh, we spend way too much time brainstorming ideas, uh, thinking about companies and the opportunity in front of them. Uh, I'm extremely g- grateful to be able to work with him. Yeah, and you you both have the same first letter of the name, so I can imagine that 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 made a lot of emails go your way as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just I have two more things before before we wrap up. Uh, uh, where do you kind of see um, where do you see this kind of investment uh, sector and these kind of VCs going into the future? So, uh, how do you see that changing? Do you do you already see a change, or what do you think that will happen there? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, there are definitely some trend lines in our industry. You see venture firms growing in size. That's that's a very real trend that is occurring. Uh, so folks like ourselves, folks like Sequoia and Andreessen, and some of the, the longer lasting names, they've really grown the amount of capital that they've raised um, substantially. And so in many ways, venture firms are starting to turn into platforms. They are thinking about investing from, you know, across all stages of a company, from seed to early stage to growth. Some of the some of these venture firms have even launched hedge funds to be able to continue to support companies once they're public. 
You've seen some of our peers launch um, uh, funds in other parts of the world, uh, whether it be India or China or even Latin America more recently. Uh, so that's one trend line, which is uh, firms just trying to get bigger and bigger over time. I think for now, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the fact that Index is just focused on its two core geographies. Um, I do think focus is very important in, in any given job. Um, so I think that's the strategy that we'll pursue for the time being, but we'll see how, how that evolves for ourselves as well. The other thing that you've seen, I think, which is something that's very top of mind for, for seed stage investors is you've seen larger firms start to be more and more active at seed stage as well. Um, so no longer are they looking to collaborate um, with uh, some of the long lasting, very early stage investors. Instead, they're going out and trying to talk to you know, a founder who's maybe a few weeks into starting a new company and, and giving them capital then. Uh, so you, you know, this, this kind of full stack, full stackification of a venture fund is, is a very interesting trend line to follow. And I'm really curious to see where it all shakes out. Um, that's definitely one thing that's new. Um, but look, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is uh, for venture firms to, at the end of the day, it's an outlier business. I mean, it, it, it's power law at its finest. And you need to invest in the companies that, um, that constitute that, the power law part of the curve. Um, so I think that's what funds are really focused on is, is finding a winner. And, and once you invest in something that looks like a winner, uh, deepening your association with that company as much as possible. So that when that founder speaks about their venture experience, they're talking about how amazing it was to work with Index and that future generations of founders should, should work with Index as well. Very cool. Very cool. I think, uh, I think that's great to, great to hear. Uh, I, I think there's uh, a lot going on in that, in that space where, uh, people are, um, as you said, the, uh, they're, they're looking at these kind of gems that come up even before you actually see them on your radar, right? Uh, those are the things that, uh, that, that are, that are of course the most interesting to, to do venture capital. So, uh, the last question I, I wanted to ask, uh, is what are you most proud of since you started at the Index Ventures? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are a few things, frankly. I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I get to work with my brother. Um, uh, I'm proud to have been part of a firm that is growing. Uh, in, in just in terms of employee count, when, when I joined Index, I think we were about 10 or 12 investors and the firm has now about doubled in size. And I think we have ambitions for the firm to keep growing. Um, I'm very proud of the relationships that I have with the founders that I work with and continue to be really excited about the prospects for each of those businesses. Um, and then I'd say the last thing is, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about personal fulfillment. Um, there is, there's this exercise that a friend of mine told me about, which is uh, writing your eulogy. So one day if, uh, if someone were to read the words said about you after you're gone from this world, what it, what is it that they will have said about you? And mm -hmm. I hope my eulogy doesn't read. Demir made a lot of money for people. Uh, Demir gave you know companies capital, and they turned that capital into more capital. If that's what's read about me, I I don't think uh, I I live my life the right way. So I hope that people read that I worked with founders closely. I helped them achieve their dreams. And I also hope that they read that I lived my life in a very Kind of values-driven way. One of the the things that I'm very passionate about is giving back to people from our part of the world. I don't think people know Balkan history very well or Bosnian history very more specifically Absolutely. very well. 
And I feel very fortunate for the amount of opportunity that I have. Uh, I'm the one in a billion kind of case uh, to be able to, to sit where I sit. Um, yeah. So my hope is that over the course of my life, I can give back to um, people in, in that part of the world and, and help them get access to the same types of, op- same types of opportunities that I've had. Um, yeah. So I, I know that's not a very direct answer to your question. No, no, that's very those good. Are the things that I'm thinking about. That's very good. I mean, the the last part, especially. I mean, that's something that uh, I feel strongly about as well. Um, and uh, I I have to agree on that. That um, we're in a fortunate position that we can do what we want. But uh, not everybody is like that. So it helps out to. I, I myself, I'm a mentor in a foundation that helps out uh, the Bosnian Herzegovina Futures Foundation. Long name, but <laughs> it's it's a pretty good foundation in a sense where you're a mentor to uh, to students there in in Bosnia to, to help them out in their kind of career path and what they want to do. So those those are things that uh, I feel like uh, are very important, and not 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 to forget kind of the background that you have, right? I mean. Uh, a lot, as you said, a lot of people don't know about it uh, or don't know a lot about it. So uh, to wrap up, uh, where can people find the index and uh, yourself on the internet? Yeah, so you can find out about our firm at indexventures.com. You can find out about me personally through LinkedIn or Twitter. You can just search my name and, and find me there. I'll link it down below so uh, everybody can find out. Um, thanks a lot, uh, Namir. It was uh, great to uh, great to talk to you. Thank you, Emma. Really appreciate it. This was awesome. No problem. And uh, for the listeners, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com and all major podcasting platforms. And uh, of course, there's a newsletter. You can find uh, five things about business, technology, and leadership every two weeks on on Friday. Uh, you can find that on bitsvsbytes.com slash newsletter. And I'd like to thank you for listening. And until next time. <laughs>